Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small, in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week we demystify digital marketing and help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. We'll cover the right plan to get your amazing business growing online, along with tips and tricks from our upcoming playbook, as well as insights from successful people in the industry. If you're in a B2B business and would like to see your marketing work for you, then this is the podcast for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, with the right plan, anyone can grow their business online. Welcome back to the B2B playbook podcast. Kev, you told me that I should read a book called Quiet by Susan Kane. Do you remember that? I do. I do. It wasn't that long ago, George. I don't have that yeah. bad a memory yet. <laughs> well, uh, I'm about halfway through it and it was a while ago and I know that because I'm an incredibly slow reader, um, which really, law was not a good um, career, well, first career choice for me, was it, when I've been a slow reader? Um, <laughs> you and me both. You and me both. That and getting on tangents. Back to my original point, uh, you told me to read Quiet by Susan Cain. And I'm starting to realize why you told me to read it. It's basically about why extroverts should just shut up and listen <laughs> to introverts. Uh, well, I'm glad you got the message. <laughs> do, and yet, do, I need, do I need to bother? I know. Do I need to bother with the second half? Is that it? No, no. You should read it. It's got some, uh, it's got some great tips in there. Not just to shut up, but, uh, <laughs> but it, it, it does help both sides understand the other better. And uh, yeah, some great tips about how to work better together so that we both uh, benefit from each other's skill sets. I think we naturally do that quite well, but um, yeah, it's always good to have that framework um, to see all that in action. I think it also more importantly made me realize, Kev, that when we're out at dinner or something and go and grab some drinks otherwise, and then you're tired and you go home, it's not because you weren't enjoying yourself. Like you enjoyed yourself while you're out, but it's just time to go home now. And that's because that that's it. You've had enough and that's, you're perfectly happy doing that. Yeah. Not, not because I don't like you anymore, George. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. I'll keep you on my, um, my MySpace top friends list then. <laughs> Oh, dear. All right. Enough of that. Uh, Kev, 
this week we're going to push beyond um, the framework, which we spent the first episode, eight episodes discussing, didn't we? So just a um, quick recap of the five Bs. They are be ready, be helpful, be seen, be better, be the best. And it's the framework that Kevin and I have put together to help you with your B2B marketing. That's right. And this week we're diving uh, headfirst into the first part, which is defining your brand. Yeah, so this is part of Be Ready, and our episodes from now on, um, whenever we start, we're going to tell you which part of our five Bs it's from. This is from Be Ready, which again is really about laying the foundations for your brand. Um, We liken it to laying the foundations for your house. Um, If you do a bad job of it, things are going to go wrong in the future. You're going to have to go back and redo it again. Yeah, we don't want to talk about it generically. You know, everyone talks about having a brand. We really want to dig into what what does a good one look like? How would you start that process of refining your existing brand um, and getting to a place where you're quite comfortable with it? You're able to rattle it off really quickly and really often because that's what you need to do to build the brand around your business so that your business is strong. Yeah, Kev, when people talk about the power of brand, um, they normally associate that with, I guess, more consumer-facing products, don't they? Yeah, but I mean, you and I both know that it's actually particularly important for B2B businesses, even more than B2C businesses. Uh, for B2C businesses, there's a, there's a tangible product that people can see and judge, touch, have a relationship with. B2B, often the only avenue to communicate and start conversations and relationships about whether it's a quick elevator pitch or to someone new to your business is what's that story around your brand? What does the brand stand for? And then it's then it leads into what the business actually does. I Sorry, I got distracted um, when you said have a relationship with the product. It just made me think about uh, people who are like marrying objects. Is that objectophilia? Yeah, objectophilia. I think my Greek roots are helping me here. I think that's objectophilia. It's a definite tangent, as a <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's it's a it's a good point you make, Kevin. And particularly in B two B, you know, it's people buying from other people, isn't it? But as your business scales and grows, you're going to have new employees, and you don't want to have to be the person who's dealing with every single client, every single customer, every time, right? Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, beyond just the fact that people buy from you, the people who buy from you are buying why you're doing it already in the B2B business because, you know, it's a service. It's much easier for someone else to replicate in a lot of ways. Uh, Why it's so important is because if you have that clear why, it it really helps ground um, a lot of business processes. Uh, So one that George talked about there is how to scale your business um, in terms of training employees who are new to your business and making sure they're on the same page and understanding what the business is about, what that culture is. I mean, it, it really helps them make decisions if they understand what's that, you know, what's that driving force behind a business. But taking that a bit further, I mean, the, the same clear why, if you're communicating it very clearly, it, it firstly makes it very easy for you to describe what your business does and why you're doing it. Uh, so people generally would ask, oh, what do you do? Um, and what does your business do? Uh, and what makes it different? I mean, that's the general sort of questions that people have in their mind, whether they ask all, all of them or not. And having a clear why makes it very easy for you to communicate that you have a line to go back to or a story to go back to 
So now you're, you're not fumbling for a new version every time. And particularly important when you come to dealing with customers or investors, if that applies to you, um, if you're scrambling for a story every time, it really erodes that trust and confidence in you knowing exactly what you're doing in the business and therefore the confidence in the business itself. So really, Kev, it's one or maybe two sentences that you as a business should actually write down, isn't mm. it? And you say, this is our why, and we want everyone in the company to know what that is and be able to repeat it. Yeah, and attaching that to a story, we'll get more into why that story part is important as well. But yeah, it essentially boils down to that one, two sentence of what the business, what the business's why is. And there's a couple more, you know, benefits from having that clear why. It, it does make your business decisions very easy. Um, well, maybe not very easy, but it, it certainly makes it easier. So if you're clear on what's important to your business, uh, why you're doing things, what's that North Star that you're driving towards and the vision of your business, you have a much clearer idea of what's important and specific decisions within your business so that you can make better decisions at the end of the day for your business to grow towards that end goal. For the, those reasons that we just talked about, it's really why with George and I think it's the only path to having uh, a sustainable and scalable growth and success in your business. Kev, I think we need to um, perhaps give some examples so we can see what a clear why looks like and then maybe circle back to saying, okay, once we have that why, then how is that specifically specifically going to help me if I'm a customer, if I'm an investor, if I'm an employee? Yeah, uh, for just sure. So users can, uh, listeners can really, um, really see why a clear why is so powerful. Um, have you got an example for us, Kev, off the bat? Yeah, let's just rattle off a, a couple of really well-known ones. Uh, so think different. Uh, that's not as strong these days, but definitely back in the day, uh, Apple. That's really, got to be Apple, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Uh, Apple is really well known for that. Just do it. I think everyone knows that one. Um, Nike yep. or yep, Nike, yep. <laughs> whatever. Yep. Have you? Uh, I don't think there's many people that. who say Nike, but I think I've heard you say it a few times. Yeah, I, I'm not really sure which one it is. Um, I do think it comes from a Greek a name of a Greek god or something like that. Um, mm, I'll ask my uh, yeah. get back to you. And the last one is is one that I personally really remember well is uh, there's, <laughs> there's some things money can't buy. For everything else, there's MasterCard. Oh, I really like that one, actually. I have, I don't know, their, their ads always stick out for me too. Twinging a bit of nostalgia for us as well, I think, uh, from our yeah. childhood, so... Double whammy. Yeah. Okay, so that's um, three examples of whys for for three very large companies. And um, there's a way to break down these whys, isn't it, Kev? Like, you know, don't just have to sit in a chair in the corner of a room uh, ruminating, thinking why, 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 until it magically comes to you. There's a bit of a process for actually putting this why together. There definitely is. And I think uh, the, the framework there is really to think about three problems that the why solves for a customer. So this is the way that you can start to build uh, your why. The first problem is basically writing down what the external problem that you're solving for your customer, then an internal problem, and lastly, a philosophical problem. It's best to illustrate it with an example. So if you're, if you're talking about Apple laptops, the external problem for a customer is they need a laptop to work on. The internal problem 
is they might be thinking, well, I want to be seen as an artist or craftsman in my industry uh, for using technology that other craftsmen and well-known artists in their respective fields and my respective field are using. So Apple laptops solved that problem for me as well. And finally, philosophical problem is that I want to be unique. I want to have an impact on society in my field by successfully challenging the status quo. Everyone wants to change what the, the going rate is, the going standard is. And, you know, Apple, Apple as a brand and Apple laptops really position themselves as something that challenges that status quo. They align with those artists, the people that push the boundaries for their particular industries. All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, it's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site, tracking their behavior, and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's basically like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement and it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Leadfeeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. Mm, it's funny, um, you actually bring up this example, Kev. My sister, who's a graphic designer, um, actually went through this exact thing. She needed a a new computer. Um, she, like, she, she convinced herself that she needed, like, the latest and greatest new iMac. Uh, when I told her about how great the Surface books are and about how, you know, they've got a touchscreen and, like, the quality's actually better and I think it's better bang for your buck, she insisted that um, that only Max like ran Adobe products and stuff that she uses to design on, which is just absolutely not true. But the external problem for her was, well, I need a I need a laptop or a computer to do my graphic design work on. The internal was, well, all the artists, all the graphic designers that she went to uni with, they all use Mac products, um, and she believed that so much so that she thought that yeah only her programs that she needed ran on max and philosophical i don't know what she was thinking for philosophical kevin but probably <laughs> something along the lines of what you said yeah but i think um that's that's such a good illustration in the point the point is that your why whatever it is however you position it whether it's through one sentence or over a story it has to answer those three questions and answer at least one of them if not multiple of them better than your competition and if you do that, then people will naturally become fans of your brand and they can justify, like your sister did there, George, they can justify purchasing sometimes maybe an inferior product because the brand is so strong and they're so convinced that they solve those three problems better than any other brand. Philosophical, as, as you said, uh, sometimes it's not, particularly for tangible products, it's not as important. But you can imagine for something like you know, suppliers of um, a, a service, like say a cleaning service for businesses. If one is more ethical, one is more sustainable, 
this day and age, that will make the difference if everything else is the same. They then solve that philosophical problem better for sustainability, for contributing to the improvement of our environment. Yeah, perhaps the good news um, for our listeners is that in the B2B world, it actually might be easier to see that philosophical uh, problem that your service or product is solving. For sure. Okay, Kev, so we said it's easier or maybe a little bit easier to apply this to a B2B example. So why don't we actually put ourselves to the test and apply it to the B2B context? All righty. I'm going to test you, Kevin. Okay, you're going to do this. Yep. All right, so I'm, I'm a catering company. Mm-hmm. I've got Cooters Catering and I'm looking for an accountant because, you know, I, I just don't really like keeping track of finances very much. Oh, um, I know that. As a, <laughs> as a Greek person, I feel like tax is optional <laughs> and <laughs> I've been warned by the ATO recently that I need to start complying with my obligations. So I need an accountant to help me out. Okay, well... Uh- your external problem is is pretty clear, and I think you've stated it yourself. You basically just need someone to help you keep track of your business's finances and make sure you're meeting your your very clear obligations under the tax law uh, when it comes to running a company. Okay, all right, that yeah, well, that makes sense. But what about internally? Uh, what is my internal problem that you, as an accountant, is is solving? For a normal business owner, like it's always best to ask your customers and try and glean some of that directly but in this case i'm going to take a run at guessing some of your innermost thoughts george apart from the inappropriate Uh, um, (laughs) so i guess in this case for your internal problems i would say that um, you would be someone that's looking to explain your obligations to you Uh, you do like to understand things from what i know about you Um, so and it is an obligation that uh, business owners do need to understand what's happening they can't just solely rely on whatever their accountants tell them so you definitely want someone who would explain the obligations in a simple way to you and so that you don't seem as well incompetent uh, when you're asking others for help Um, so that's quite important as well uh, for a lot of us business owners um, yourself included George in this case as a catering company business owner um, pride is is not necessarily a bad thing but in this case it it's something that needs to be addressed. So I would say that's probably your two internal problems that you want to solve. Yeah, I think you nailed that um, specifically for me as a person, but also probably like an insight into the the mind of a, a small business owner and, and what they care about. Um, okay, but what about, what's my philosophical problem then? We've covered the external, we've covered the internal. What's my philosophical problem that you as an accountant is going to solve? Yeah, I mean, this is a great one where you can really differentiate um, depending on how you run that business as an accountant. So I guess it was for me and I imagine for you as well, George, when you look for a supplier to to help you with your business for something as important as accounting and making sure you're meeting legal obligations, you want someone who's honest and um, is upstanding because then that's a reflection on your business because then you want your business to be that honest and upstanding contributor to your local and national economy. I mean, small businesses, as we all know, are the backbone of the economy. We, we, you know, we start small businesses to help others, to help the economy, to help those around us um, in, in some small part um, all the time. So, so I definitely think uh, that's the philosophical problem that it solves is that, 
you do actually want to contribute back to to your community to whether that's at a local level or national level and you want to do that in an honest and upstanding way yeah i think you did pretty well there that is something that would resonate with me uh, i'm someone who follows mark boris on linkedin and all his rants um about how small businesses are the backbone of the economy and how we're such an important um <clears throat> part of the business world and um yeah i think something uh that or someone who provides a service that makes me feel like i'm in line with that would uh help solve uh one of my philosophical problems yeah just uh it helps you get a bit closer to where you see yourself philosophically so that's very cool all right so we've got our our why there or at least we know that we've got the external problem the internal problem and the philosophical problem how do we actually communicate that why once we're clear on those three problems i think what we agree on for sure is that you should communicate that in a story and then communicate that story often so a couple of reasons for this um, and it's really outlined a lot in the book um, building a story brand we'll link that in the show notes um, by donald miller but the idea is that humans fundamentally just retain the way our memory works. We retain stories a lot better. The things that uh, come in a cohesive story just sticks with us for a lot longer. And it's the same with a brand. Uh, when you hear a brand just said by itself, it might not really resonate with you, even if you're told the why. But if it comes in a story format, you're much more likely to retain that. So let's let's give an example probably straight away that everyone will be able to resonate with or a lot of us will be able to resonate with before we dig into the parts of a story and why that works i think i know where you're going with this kev um i just i'm thinking about stories and are you going to tell us about uh there's a reason why hollywood have followed the same story format forever and ever yeah and i specifically want to give you an example from hollywood so the star wars movies let's just take the first one <laughs> That's a clear story. That's a storyline that people remember very easily because it has a few key elements. The first key element is a character uh, that everyone can back, everyone everyone knows, or is a center, center point of that story, and that is Luke Skywalker. That character runs into a series of problems. Uh, so in this case, you know, the Empire, Darth Vader, what have you. They then hit upon a playbook or solution that helps them through that problem. So in this case, it's Yoda and his teachings um, about becoming a Jedi and so on. And that solution is then presented as a path forward to Luke. So he starts training. But then an event calls Luke or whatever the character might be to act on that strategy. So then there's an... Uh, increased in the war with the empire um, luke has to run off to help his friends and that pushes him down to that path of really becoming a jedi and along the way you'll see another important element uh, you'll see the perils of failure become clear so the empire takes over darth vader wins the freedom in the the galaxy is lost um so these are enticements towards uh, success. You want to avoid these perils, but also you want to get the uh, the rewards for succeeding. So um, whether that's the girl, friends living free, or uh, a free empire. So all these things are 
clearly on the line. So that's a quick uh, example of a story, an effective story uh, told in the form of Star Wars. So just to recap a few of the key elements that always comes through in a story, you have a character, and then that character runs into a series of problems. They hit upon a playbook, a solution of sorts, and that solution is presented to them as the path forward and the push to implement that solution because an event or something happens where they're forced to find a solution. And failures and consequences of failure is called out and also the rewards of success is called out along the way. So that creates a very effective story. Well, I hope, Kev, that you nailed the details of that um, for the Star Wars fans out there because we know that they're very passionate and we could be receiving a bunch of angry emails um, if you missed some details. Yes, it's uh, it's very general. It's very general. Don't hold me to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, maybe can we try and apply this story format to prove it to our listeners um, in another example? Um, maybe a rom-com, perhaps, Kevin? Um, uh, I'm thinking, what's the one everyone watches at Christmas? Love Actually. Uh, I'm not too familiar with that one, George. You're not familiar with Love Actually? That's just my uh, sorry attempt to dodge the question. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) maybe we should, well, maybe another example does work, but let's talk about potentially a client um, or the B2B context and, and we can apply it that way to see how these story aspects apply. Fine. I wanted I wanted to talk about Love Actually, and I wanted to talk about how Colin in Love Actually, his problem was, you know, he couldn't get any girls, and he was unattractive to them. And then, you know, he <laughs> he ran into a solution, which was go to America, where all the girls loved English people, and um, that's that's as far as I got. And I was hoping you would fill out the rest for me. But anyway, let's go through and do it in the b2b context as you have suggested kevin yeah let's let's do one uh real quick i think just before we kick into it uh just keep in mind that when you do a story for a business the character that we talk about that centers the story it should be your customer it should be a personification of your customer because then it's a relatable story to your customers it shouldn't be focused on the story of your business Business stories a dime a dozen. Nobody really cares as a customer uh, who who you are. I mean, they do care, but really when you're telling them a story of why, it should be showing uh, how a customer would fit into that story and how they would progress through. What your business really should be should be that solution or strategy that gives them a path forward to solve the problems or problem that they have. They only really care about your origin story insofar as it relates to them as the customer, right? They, they don't care that you were born in Sydney in 1992 and then at this moment you knew you were destined to do X, Y, and Z. And like, no one cares about that. Exactly. When you read about us pages on, on websites for businesses, that's, that's the key difference between a good one and a bad one. A good one centers around a customer and blends into that the story of the business and how it, it's the perfect solution for the customer. Whereas one that maybe isn't as effective really focuses then on the business's story instead. Yeah, it's like when you go to an interview and the first question is tell us a bit about yourself and you start talking about where you went to school. Like no one cares about that. Yeah, tell me 
what relevant skills and experience you have to this particular role and why I should hire you over other people. Exactly. All right, George, I think we can jump into the example. Uh, One that I had in mind uh, in particular was the story of one of your clients that you've worked on uh, who deal with modern slavery. Yeah, they're they're a fantastic company and they basically sell um, a platform that helps big businesses comply with um, the Modern Slavery Act, which is an act that's designed to help big organizations look at their supply chains and see, is there any modern slavery in it? And modern slavery is basically, are there any slaves working in your supply chains? So maybe we can roll through each parts of the story, Kev, and look at how this would, would apply to my particular client. Yeah, perfect. So first element, as we said, is a character or your customer personified. Yeah, so in this case, the character is big businesses. So big businesses typically have quite large supply chains and they're aware statistically that there have to be there has to be some modern slavery in their supply chains. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So your typical character in the story would be a big business who don't have full visibility in the supply chains. And that's really the problem part, isn't it? So the second element, the problem or serious problems that they face is their big business. They know there's probably modern slavery at some point in the supply chains, but they don't have a process to make that visible. That's right. That's part of the problem is they, yeah, they don't have a process to actually see where the slavery might be in their supply chain. And they can't then fix it, obviously. That's right. That is until they hit upon their playbook or solution, um, which in this case is my client um, and their platform, which enables them to essentially lift the veil on what's going on in their supply chains. So it provides a great starting point for them to start analyzing their supply chains and looking at where the weaknesses might be and where there might be instances of modern slavery. Okay, perfect. So your client then is that playbook of solution and they provide the the missing piece or the strategy forward to solve this uh, lack of visibility in a big business's supply chain. All right, so the next element is an event or someone calling the character, in this case, big business, into action to apply that strategy or solution. So the product that your customer has, uh, sorry, the product that your client has provided. Yeah, what I actually love about this, Kev, is there couldn't be a more uh, clear call to action or event for these um, customers of my client because uh, there's been legislation introduced in the in the uh, in the last couple of years, which has actually made it mandatory for businesses over a certain size to submit a modern slavery um, act statement, which basically is a statement. Uh, which outlines that they've done their due diligence, that they've identified where the problems are and what steps they're going to start to take to to rectify it. Um, so very, very clear call to action there. Yeah, that's a very compelling uh, event or call to action for these big businesses. Yeah, so the perils are really clear for, <laughs> for, for our character here, aren't they? So they can be subject to legislative punishments if they're not complying with their Modern Slavery Act statements. But it's not just something that's punitive that they're worried about. Um, We know that there's a real push, not just from consumers, but for businesses to choose brands that are ESG focused, right? And if you're a big business and you're meant to comply with, with these standards and you publicly haven't done so, 
then uh, that's not very good for your brand. No, do you mind just defining really quickly what ESG means? Yeah, that's uh, environmental and social governance. So the peril is really, and, and particularly that latter one there, is you really could be losing your customer base and, and, and your revenue source if you're not pushing towards these ESG-focused initiatives and solutions. Yeah, that's right. So there's two really, really, I mean, there's a very strong call to action there and the perils of not heeding that call to action are very clear. Okay, and then uh, I guess that the flip side of that is really the rewards that are shown, isn't it? So uh, you might get a lot of great customers out of the back of it because you're differentiating yourself from other brands out there who aren't as sustainable, uh, who aren't as ESG focused. Yeah, I guess it's um, their equivalent of what Hollywood normally rewards is like the love interest at the end of the movie. Um, what's your reward? Well, now this company has a product that can start the process of complying with the MSA with the Modern Slavery Act, that has great knock-on effects, as you mentioned, for their brand, for their reputation. And it opens them up to, I guess, like another pool of customers. Yeah, they can, at the very least, action their uh, legislative requirements to meet those legislative requirements so they don't get, so they don't cop a fine, um, but also so that, you know, they're meeting um, client expectations for being ESG-focused and, they can actually do something about eliminating modern slavery from their supply chains. All right, so the last part then is not always clear in a story, but um, in this case, it is clear. So the resolution is they really now have a product that can start that process uh, for complying with this legislation, as you mentioned. Yeah, I think um, if our clients are struggling with that resolution, just think to us, think to yourself, what is the outcome for your client uh, once they go through and finish your service? What outcomes are they actually getting from it? And very often that's the resolution for them. Mm. Yeah, that really comes back to that point around, um, you know, finding your why starts with finding what the problems are and that you're trying to solve for your customer and then using this story format to lay out both the problems but then also the story arc of how a potential customer would work through and use your business to get to a final resolution that they're looking for. Okay, Kev, we said at the beginning that your why should just be one or two sentences, but we've then gotten told our listeners that you need to solve an internal, external, philosophical problem, and then you need to do it in a story format. How the hell do you do that in two sentences? Yeah, such a good and pertinent question, George. I think it comes down to this. Once you've figured out what the problems are and what that why is, you've put it into a story format. You can't tell, you don't always have that opportunity to tell the story. So it's about putting your why as something that captures the, the essence of what that solution is that you're offering, but also as, as some sort of a hook to your audience to find out more about the rest of that story. You don't have to tell the whole story in one go in that first interaction, in the first couple of sentences, but you can hook them in so that they will want to know the rest of the solution, the rest of the story, the perils and things like that. But it has to be that hook that alludes to what the why is and then hooks them in for the rest of the story. That's why things like the tagline for Apple works so well, think differently. It does incorporate what the why is. It's put, putting a point of differentiator around the brand of challenging the status quo. But it doesn't tell you the full story of how that happens, what a customer will get from it, uh, you know, getting a tool that is the craftsman's choice 
all that comes through the rest of the communications that that initial hook that vagueness of those two words carries with it so the story is still important and figuring out the problems that you're solving is the key and the foundation of starting that process but then distilling it down into a hook into something that both has the why the essence of the why and a hook is the next step and that takes some finessing that takes some testing um, but the first step is to start with what the problems what the three problems that you're solving and what's the story around that and then that will probably get you you know 80 90 percent of the way there and it's just about finding maybe a couple words a sentence like uh, other great brands have done to really distill that down into something that is easy to communicate and say well, it was a tricky question well handled kevin <laughs> um i i think you're right um so you don't need to tell that whole story right it's just a hook um initially and then you can continue the story when people come and see the rest of your website or maybe as part of an email sequence um that you put together when someone subscribes um to to your company's email yeah really the only concept that we want to talk about that's that's how you action it that's a few things that you need really need to test and refine over time yourself but it starts with this idea that people buy why you do what you do and if you tell that in a story format they will remember that why better and then that is the catalyst for building relationships building a strong business cool kev i mean I think you and I both see this as really the foundation of the foundation, isn't it? Mm. It's like the first, um, what do people say? Is it the, the hoe in the ground or uh, when you dig? The first you know, brick, the, the, the cornerstone? Yeah, okay, sure. The, well, it's the foundations. You've got to dig first. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, you know, I, the point is I would do this before um, looking at defining your dream customers mm. right I, I would i would really absolutely start by doing this before looking at your dream 100 and doing all of that other foundational work before doing your brand guidelines and even if you have done that work it's still worth going back and and doing this. yeah even even if it's just to make sure that it's clear in your head as you progress through the other parts because this is what will center and ground all the decisions uh, that you make Cool, Kev. That's a that's a really good overview of why and why the why is so important. And we actually have an article or two on our site, the b2bplaybook.com, um, which helps people work through um, some of those questions that we've put forth um, in this podcast. So perhaps people can use the week to go through and work through those themselves because next week we're going to go through what we see is the next step in building your foundations, and that is defining your dream customers. Perfect. All right, guys, as always, you can find links to everything we discussed in the show notes and we'll chat to you next week. Great. Thank you, guys. And thank you, Kev. Cheers, George. A quick note before you go, listeners, you can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook, the easier way to champion your business online.